So last week, we studied John chapter 4. We looked at 42 verses. And I spoke, this was a record for me, to study through 42 verses and still, basically still remain kind of within the time slot I tried to be. I was, uh, I was pretty happy. But it was a great, great story. We saw how Jesus and the disciples, they had left Judea, and they were heading towards Galilee. And on the way, we know the story, they went through Samaria. Now, Jesus met with an interesting woman, I'll put it that way, and he met with this woman at this well, which was just outside of the village. Then the disciples went, and they headed in to get food while Jesus remained back at the well. We talked about custom last week, how Jesus broke the custom of the day, even speaking to this woman, and he explained to her the truth, the gospel, through this analogy through living water. Now, one point last week that I didn't mention was it was true that Jesus met alone with this woman. But Kevin and I were having a discussion later in the week, and he said, you know, there's another point that I've heard about. And he said, this meeting also, you should look at this, took place in the open. This wasn't in a private place. This wasn't behind closed doors. It's true, they, had, they were alone, but this was in a public place. This wasn't behind closed doors. So this is a great point and a little lesson for all of us as we look at that story. If, and I say if, we are having a meeting with someone that maybe could ever be seen as questionable in any way, a public place is always best. And I thought Kevin brought that up last week uh, after we were talking in midweek, and I said, that's a good, that's a good point. I want to bring that back up. The Bible is full of instructions for all of us as we read these stories, and how to walk as Christians in this world. This is just a small one. So I pray that each of you last week were able to apply some lesson from the story uh, from the woman at the well and walk it out in your life this week. Now, if we remember Jesus' words from last week, I want to read them. I hope this is an example of your week this week. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. A great reminder that each and every day, we are renewed by His grace, and it's flowing through us as a living stream each day. Now, for me, this is just a message I need to hear, is so often I have struggles finding joy amongst all the chaos that I kind of walk through each day and each week. Now, today, we're going to dig into God's Word, but I want to give a quick disclaimer as we teach. I have been teaching through the Gospels chronologically. I use several different resources to help me determine the timeline of events as they took place. I'm trying each week to teach on this specific story in the order as it took place. As we each say we're walking with Jesus and the disciple for three years as we go through the Gospels. And last week, we know we studied the story of Jesus sharing hope with the woman at the well. The week before was a message about he must increase and we must decrease. Now, this week, we're going to study Jesus' return to his hometown. But the exact timeline of some of the events right in this area is debatable. I don't think it really matters to any of the stories, but I want you to know there is debate. I looked at my different resources, and one said this story happened first, and this one, they don't, we don't know exactly is what it really comes down to. We aren't sure if Jesus heard of John's arrest before heading to Galilee, 
or maybe while he was speaking to the woman at the well in Samaria. People have different opinions on this. I believe Jesus received this news while he was in Samaria, preaching the good news for two days to the Samaritans. But other people believed that's why he actually turned and left to Galilee and then made the stop in Samaria. As I said, it doesn't really affect the story that much, but I want you to know, we're also not sure if Jesus, we're going to get into the official son. So we don't know for sure if he went to his hometowns first or he did heal the official son before or after this. We're not really sure if it was on his way to Nazareth or right afterwards. Again, either way, the, Jesus and the disciples have returned to Galilee. And we're going to study all the stories that they did in this time, starting today with Jesus in his hometown in Nazareth. So let's read first what has happened and or been taking place concerning John the Baptist. If you've got your Bibles, open them up to Luke Chapter 3, we're going to look at two verses, 19 and 20. John also public, publicly criticized Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, for marrying Herodias, his brother's wife, for many other wrongs he had done. So Herod put John in prison, adding this sin to many others. So we read here that John has been arrested. And we're not exactly sure again if this happened right before Jesus left for Galilee or while he was in Samaria. But either way, Luke explains what's taking place here. But I want to take a minute and I want to turn to Mark because Mark gives a little more detail on what has really happened here. That's one nice thing about reading through the Gospels. So let's turn to Mark chapter 6. Get verse 17 and 20. For Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to Herodias. She had been his brother's, Philip's wife, but Herod had married her. John had been telling Herod, it is against God's law for you to marry your brother's wife. So Herodias bore a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But without Herod's approval, she was powerless. For Herod respected John, and knowing that he was a good and holy man, he protected him. Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John, but even so, he liked to listen to him. A little bit different account, a little more detail in there is given. So after reading this, we learn that John was arrested because this man's wife was upset with what John was sharing about her. John called out that it was sinful to marry within their family. It was against the law. John called out her sin publicly, and Herodias wanted John dead. So Herod bowed to her demands, we know we read there, and has arrested John, which we actually saw, he actually respected him. It's interesting as you read uh, Luke's account, because as you read this, it also, as I was talking, it's not necessarily in exact order. Such as here, when he's sharing of John the Baptist and the ministry and what's taken place. He includes this detail about John and John, uh, in, sorry, he includes some details about the story of John right here in this verse that actually happened a little bit later in the story than the rest of the text. If you read the book, Luke transitions into telling then to Jesus' ancestors, if we're not going to go through that today, but then he goes into his temptation, uh, the text we're studying today, uh, Jesus returning to Nazareth. So Luke, we know, was a doctor. 
And I think that we see his personality come out in the text as we study it. We see that as he tells the story, he seems to be more concerned with the person, telling about the person, their story, more so than exactly the order of events. So when he's talking about John the Baptist, he tells the whole story kind of John the Baptist. But then he moves on to Jesus and telling the story of Jesus. But some of the the details kind of overlap, but he kind of sticks with telling that story of that person. I think as each of us, uh, as we tell stories, it's how we tell a story. We begin with the main story of what we're going to talk about. But then as we share the story, sometimes we go back and forth in our own timeline, giving some more details or giving a little context. And we see this as Luke also does this. I think it's a, it's a great indication that we know that this was a true story. It helps us get to know the people that he's speaking about better in a true account. So let's continue to follow the story. And we've got to turn all the way to Luke. But we're going to turn ahead now to Luke chapter 4, verse 14 and 15. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in the synagogues and was praised by everyone. So we're going to learn now what Jesus was doing as John was being arrested, as he was arrested. So Jesus has left this ministry, as we know from last week, at the woman in the well. Many people we read in that story had come to know the Lord. And then he now returns after two days to his hometown, or at least right now his home area where he grew up. Now, we see in the verse, as Jesus is returning home, I find this interesting, this story interesting, because so many of us here are not actually in our homes. I mean, very, very few people in this room, this is their hometown. So as I read this story, I find it interesting, the correlation for many of us when we go back to our hometowns, uh, the reactions we have. But Jesus, something's different now when he's returning to his hometown. Now, you know, I hope something's different for all of us when we return to our hometowns. But this passage clearly states that Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus had been baptized with the Holy Spirit, and he has now been equipped by God to fulfill his calling on his life. And now he's returning to his hometown. Uh, to look at this a little deeper, let's go, let's go to Mark. Mark chapter 1. Let's look at verse 14. It's another account of this. Later on, after John was arrested... Jesus went into Galilee, where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God had come. At last, he announced, the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe in the good news. Jesus' message was very, very clear. And the same today. Turn from your sins and place your faith in Jesus. Turn back to Luke chapter 4 and look at verse 15 again. It says here, He taught regularly in the synagogues and was praised by everyone. So we see that people at this time, they respected Jesus as he often taught in the synagogue. They even praised Jesus for what he was doing. I think as we read this, this is an important fact that he was welcomed again and again to teach at the synagogues. And he was praised by the people in the synagogues. But notice what's not mentioned in the text. Does it say that, Many people repented of their sins and came to faith in Jesus. Doesn't say that. He was praised, he was welcomed, but not does not say that anyone repented. Think about this verse and this situation even in today's church in the world. As we continue to 
study on in the next few verses. I see this so often. So people are welcomed in the church, but does the people in the, the message is preached, right? Jesus pressed the message, repent. They liked him, but they didn't turn to him. Let's look at verses 16 and 17. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. So Jesus has came to his hometown now. And the first detail we see in this story, as he has came home, that his normal practice was to go into the synagogue. Is that, like, what do you do when you go to your hometown? What's the first thing you do? You find the church. So just a great, these little, these little tiny lessons are just packed into here all the time. And when you go home, I know the first thing, it is true, when I go to the place where I'm from in Indiana, the first thing I do is I go to the church. I don't even, if it's open, I hope. <laughs> but uh, it's the first thing we do. But Jesus, God in the flesh, made a regular habit of going to the synagogue everywhere he went and visited. You know, I remember when we were, I don't know, 10 years ago, we went on a vacation. And we would always go to church in the different towns that we'd go visit. And people were just blown away. They're like, you're on vacation and you went to church? I just, I couldn't understand that. I'm like, well, of course. That's what we would go to church. We wanted to fellowship. But I think we see this example here. Uh, just in case, a synagogue, I don't know if, make sure everyone understands what that is. A synagogue is a place, a building, say, that Jewish people would go themselves to have corporate worship. Uh, the worship was done through the reading of the word, the scriptures, uh, through teachings, through singing of hymns to God. So it wasn't like our churches today, but it had some similarities for sure. It was a place that they'd go to worship God through reading the word and singing of songs and worship. Now, the temple, that's much different. Make sure not confused that the temple was in Jerusalem. But many towns had synagogues for work, weekly corporate worship. So as we read again, this was Jesus' normal practice to worship in the synagogue. A lesson for us. Would that be what people would say of us? Do we have a usual practice of attending church? Would we look around and say, where is Joe this week? He's not here because he's here every week. That's a healthy relationship there. So looking again at the passage, I also found that Jesus in his home fellowship, his home synagogue, is going to read the scripture. So they've taken the scroll out. I mean, this was a much bigger deal than, you know, they didn't have Bibles, they didn't have books. You know, this was a big deal. So he's going to read the scripture. And he's handed the scroll of Isaiah. This was not a coincidence. Not by any means. Not a coincidence. So let's read this in verse 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Let's take a minute and break down this prophecy. Uh, as we do that, I think we should just go ahead and turn to Isaiah 61. You got your Bibles? Isaiah 61. Let's just go through it. The first part here, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. We read this and see the Holy Spirit. We see God. Then we see me. So who's me? It's Jesus. 
We read this and we see the Spirit of God is upon Jesus. Next we read, For the Lord has anointed me, I'm making sure, to bring the good news to the poor. God, through the Holy Spirit, has anointed or commissioned Jesus to bring a message. This is important. And this is one of the reasons I didn't get into a lot with John earlier, because I want to explain. So he's anointed or commissioned as an elder. This is very important. This is not just symbolic or something that we just say. It is a huge responsibility to the church before God in the church. It is a huge empowering from the Holy Spirit. It's a calling from the Holy Spirit that has deep accountability before the Lord. We can go to Scripture and see how we're accountable in that way. A definition I looked up to anoint, to consecrate Jesus to the Messianic office, furnishing him with the necessary powers for its administration or bestowing Christians with gifts of the Holy Spirit. Each case here is there anointed or commissioned. This is done through the Holy Spirit by God. The church's job is to recognize that calling on that person's life. But it's God who does this. Let's continue to look at the verse. It says to bring the good news to the poor. I looked this up both in the New Testament and the Old Testament and looked it up both in the Greek and the Hebrew just to try to maybe understand exactly a little bit more what it meant. I like the word bring because I'm like, what does that mean to bring the good news? We know what the good news is. I hope everyone here knows what the good news is, the gospel message. But what did it mean to bring it? Bring the good news. Because that's interesting as I read that. So to preach the gospel, to preach the good news, that's one way you could say bring. It's not, it's more though. It's not just to go out and speak the good news. That's not what it is. It's much, much more. It's to go out, to live it out, to take this news to the people who are afflicted, the poor, the brokenhearted, and the lost. When you say bring the good news, you're going to bring it to them. That's different from I'm going to share the gospel, which that's good. But here he says, you're called to bring it. You're to go out. Jesus went to the people and performed miracles and taught the, and taught the good news. So this was a, a life purpose or a calling that he had upon him. In the next part of this verse, if you continue to read it, it explains even more. It says, he has sent me to proclaim, to call out, to cry out. Is that our hearts? To call out, to cry out? What do you call out? It it continues. It tells us what we're to do, that captives will be released and the blind will see that the oppressed will be set free. The message is that we are, through faith in Jesus Christ, freed from our sins, that our eyes have been opened spiritually and that we are healed from the spiritual blindness that we all once had. We are no longer oppressed once we have placed our faith in Jesus and we have freedom through Jesus Christ. Then Jesus closes in the other account that that the time of the Lord's favor has come. I looked up a commentary, David Guzik, I'll read it. He says, this seems to describe an Old Testament concept of the year of Jubilee in Leviticus. The year of Jubilee, slaves were set free, debts canceled, and things set to a new start. What's interesting as I read this in Isaiah is the thought is continued then. We see that in Isaiah. There's another part. In in verse 2 it says, and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. But that wasn't in the New Testament, wasn't it? In Luke's account, Jesus didn't continue that. 
he stopped. This part isn't included because it hasn't yet been fulfilled. The Savior has come. Jesus has come. But God's wrath is still yet to come. Let's turn back to Luke chapter 4. Let's look at verses 20 and 21. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to him. them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Now remember, Jesus stopped midway as he was quoting Isaiah. I know they didn't have verses and chapters back then, but I'm sure they knew that was a complete thought, the prophecy. I'm sure these people all knew this. And I'm sure they were looking at him a little confused, kind of wondering why had Jesus given the scroll back without finishing the reading. They're all waiting, looking at him. Then Jesus sits down, as was custom, as was custom because he was going to teach or say something. So you would sit down. I say this a lot, but I imagine myself in this story, in this audience, watching this all take place. Can you imagine yourselves there? Everyone is affixed on Jesus, looking towards him. Then what does Jesus say? He says, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Jesus has just proclaimed to be the one who was spoken of in this prophecy. And the prophecy also states has been fulfilled. Jesus has clearly proclaimed he is the Messiah. But do the people understand? They understand what he's proclaimed? Well, what will their reaction be to Jesus now? Let's see in verse 22. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? Now, why, why were these people so amazed? They didn't see Jesus as the Messiah. They still saw him as the kid who was doing carpentry work around the town that they lived in. Most people believe that it doesn't say it here. It just is the few words that he said. But I believe he taught a lesson. There's more to this. He actually taught a lesson, I believe. All we have uh, in the print in Luke is that he said, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. It's the only thing that's mentioned. But he probably had a little more to say if you look at the context of the scripture. These peoples, the people as they listened, their initial response was amazement. As they talk about his gracious words, so I assume maybe he said more. You know, these words from Jesus were from the Holy Spirit. They brought truth and conviction, I'm sure, to these people. But then, what happened? Right after that, after these gracious words from the Holy Spirit was spoken, very quickly, very, very quickly, their hearts begin to question. The seeds of doubt begin to enter into their hearts and their minds. And they said, how can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? They begin to think to themselves, how can we know for sure? Maybe some of you have done this. Have you ever done this? I have. Praying to the Lord. Lord, if this is truly your will, give me a sign. He already has. Obviously, most of us, if we're praying about it, but we are always sometimes asking for more. Is this really your will? Is this really what you want from me? Or even before I really knew Jesus, I'd be like, are you real, Jesus? Give me a sign. I don't know if you've ever done that. I've done it before, Jesus. Knowing Jesus, and I've done it after. 
Give me a sign. So let's read as these people, that seed of doubt is in their mind. Let's see what's going to happen next in verses 23 through 24. Then he said, you are undoubtedly quote me on this proverb. Physician, heal yourself. Meaning, do miracles here in your hometown like you did, like those you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I believe... This is my opinion that Jesus responds to these people's questions that was upon their minds without them even asking. Maybe they asked. We don't know for sure. I believe Jesus answered their question before it even came to their lips, what they didn't want to ask. Because what happened here is the word of God wasn't enough for them. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophecy being fulfilled. It didn't seem to be enough for them to repent and turn. Uh, the truth and the conviction that I believe was laid upon these people's hearts from the Holy Spirit, spoken through Jesus, obviously wasn't enough. These people now wanted physical miracles performed for them. Like they'd heard about in other places that Jesus had visited. Again, I tell you, I have been that person that's cried out to the Lord, just give me a sign. And God, you ready? God has performed miracles many times but i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you this is not what brought me personally to surrender to jesus in faith again god has done many miracles in my life and when i've asked for miracles again that's not what brought me to faith jesus knew these people's hearts in this story and it was only for me personally i'm telling my testimony when i gave up being Lord of my life, and cried out to Jesus in faith, and cried out to Jesus, Jesus, do for me what I cannot do for myself. It was then when I surrendered my heart to Jesus. And he then did for me what I could never do for myself. He performed a miracle. He filled that void in my heart with his love and his presence. Looking back at this story, these people knew Jesus from a child. But they couldn't seem to overcome the doubt that they had. So Jesus has some more he wants to say to him. them. Look at verses 25 through 27. Certainly, there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the heavens were closed for three and a half years, and a severe famine devastated the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath, in the land of Sidon. And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elisha, but the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. Jesus uses this example of the story of Elijah and Elisha to rebuke these people. Again, I was reading a commentary, and these people, these Jewish people here in Jesus' hometown, they believed because of their personal Jewish heritage, they were probably entitled to a special favor by Jesus. They believed just because they were Jewish. But Jesus made two very, very important points here. First, that their rejection of Jesus was upon them. It was nothing to do with Jesus. Their reaction to Jesus spoke of their hardness and their hearts. Jesus was open to receive them, just as he is today. The second one, as I read in this commentary, is that it showed that God's miraculous power often shown in unexpected and sovereign ways. 
people that we consider undeserving or perhaps even strange are many times the recipients of God's miraculous power, as we know about this story here. Naaman heard the word, and he was healed by God's grace. He responded in action. I think it's important. Obeying God's command, he surrendered in faith. Then he not only witnessed a miracle, but he was part of a miracle. And this is often the pattern that I see today. Personally, my testimony, again, it wasn't through miracles that I came to faith. But through surrendering my pride, turning from my sin, and then placing my faith in Jesus alone. Then my eyes were opened spiritually. Now I'm able to look back now with my eyes opened and look back and see all the different times that God did absolute miraculous works. Miracles. Which as I look back and I reflect on them and I see them today that increases my faith in Jesus. Today, we're privileged to be a witness to many miracles around us each day. To those around us, we see miracles take place today. That encourages me to remain steadfast in serving Jesus. It helps me to remember during difficult times how great our God is. He is a God of miracles. Now, this is my testimony. Uh, Yours may be different. What What was your response to Jesus? Maybe, how did you come to faith? People have different stories. Maybe a very different story. You know, Paul's story is very different. You know, that was an amazing story that Paul had. So let's read how the people in this story who knew Jesus from childhood will respond to him in proclaiming, as he's proclaimed to be the Messiah, in verses 28 through 30. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd And went on his way. These people, they responded in anger to Jesus and the message that he had. It seems to be a pattern today, I see. Most people either respond to the gospel in faith, in repentance, or in anger. They wanted to silence the message. They wanted to silence Jesus. They wanted to kill him. They asked for a miracle. They ended up getting one because Jesus passed through the crowd walking away unharmed. There was a miracle there. I don't believe any of them were able to witness that, though, because they were spiritually blind. So in a few minutes, we're going to take communion. And this is a time that we are able to worship Jesus. It's a time that we each can take to reflect on who Jesus is and what he has done. Also, As we take that time, we also can look towards the future and see the promises that each one of us have been given through our faith in Jesus. You know, I don't know for you guys, but I know December is upon us. Sweet December. It's very special to very a lot of people. Again, we have Sweet December. We have Hanukkah. We have Christmas. We have all these different uh, holidays, uh, festivals, um, all based around celebrating God, celebrating Jesus. You know, Christmas, we celebrate Jesus' birth. Um, Also today, it's Sunday, the first Sunday of the month. This is when we normally take communion here at this fellowship. As I thought about today's message, my prayer was that each one of us would really 
take some time before God as we start this month or this season of different holidays. Some are taking place now. Seek the Holy Spirit and see that if there's anything in our lives that needs to be revealed to us, anything in our lives that would not be pleasing to God, if there's anything in our lives that would come between our relationship with us and God, or if there's anything in our lives that would become between us and the relationship with the others in our lives. I think as we start this season of December, this you know we go out caroling, we share the truth of Christmas, we share about Jesus' birth. Also, as we begin this, I think it's a great time of examination. If there's anything that any one of us needs to repent of, Let's take care of it. You know, it's Jesus. we're celebrating Jesus' birth. Let's take care of this. Please know, also, I want to mention something about communion. That communion is for those who have placed their faith in Jesus, repented of their sins. If you're here today and you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, welcome. It's great to have you here. Um, if the, maybe some of you, if you're examining your lives, maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. If, you, if there's in, any sin in your life that you feel is unrepentive, you should refrain from taking communion today. Or maybe, here's another one, if you have unforgiveness in your heart for another brother or sister. Maybe you can make that right right now. I don't know. Maybe it's between you and God. Maybe you need to go to that individual. I'm not sure of the situation. But if you have anything like this, Please resolve that before taking the Lord's Supper. And also, if you have anything like this in your life, come up to us. There's many people here who'd like to pray with you and help you. If you don't know Jesus, we'd love to talk to you. If you have something that you're struggling with, please let us know. We'd love to pray with you. I don't know if anyone noticed, but usually whenever I teach, we go through a passage, the story, and the scripture. And at the end, I go through these main points or this main application that I drew out of it and how we can apply this to our lives. But today, I think I wanted to be a little bit different. Just as I said, I pray that each of us would examine our lives and ask, is it pleasing to the Lord? Again, how is each of our relationships with God, with our spouses, with our children, our families, the church, our co-workers, our neighbors? As we begin this holiday season, this Christmas season, And we're going to go out there and share the hope of Jesus. Let's make sure that our relationship with God is correct before we go out. Turn to Mark. Mark chapter 12, verse 29. You guys are familiar with this verse very much, I'm sure. Jesus replied, The most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel. The Lord our God is the one and only God. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Again, as we leave these doors today, as we go out into the world, I just pray that these verses would be imprinted on our hearts. This December, we're going to encounter a lot of people that don't know Jesus, and we're going to have opportunities to witness to them. And very often, as Scripture tells us, they can come to know Jesus through our love for each other and for God and for our neighbors. So let us, as we take communion, worship Jesus. This is a form of worship. Worship Jesus for who he is. He's God. For what he has done. He's given his life for each and every one of us. And then he defeated sin and death and was resurrected. 
then let's worship him also for the promises that each one of us have. As they continue to press out the bread and the juice, I want you to turn back to Isaiah 61. As we take communion, I was looking at this prophecy here, and I want to take communion as we look at these verses again. As this is what Jesus has said has been fulfilled. We see that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and proclaim that the captives be released and the prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And with it, the day of God's God's anger against their enemies. As we take the bread, I look at this verse in Isaiah, the first verse, verse 1. And I see that he has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim the captives will be released and the prisoners will be freed. I see this as a representation of what has happened on the cross. That Jesus, the bread, that his body was broken. And through that, the proclamation that the captives are freed and the prisoners are freed. That's our sins. We're free from our sins. We're free, free from death. And as we look at the juice and what it represents, it continues. He says that the time of the Lord's favor has come. His blood being spilled out for each one of us, washing us clean. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this, Lord. As we look at this message today, as we begin this season that uh, so many of us celebrate your birth, we celebrate Hanukkah, we celebrate sweet December. Lord, we just come before you, Lord, in thanks of knowing who you are, Lord. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, Lord. We know, Lord, that we were sinners, Lord, without hope without hope, knowing the penalty of our sin would be death. But, Lord, you came. You came to this earth, Lord, and you saved us, Lord. You allowed yourself to be placed on the cross for our sins to pay the debt of the sins of the world, Lord. Death. So, Lord, we we want to recognize this, Lord, as you commanded us in your word, Lord. So we take this bread, Lord, and we see and remember in our hearts, Lord, that your body was broken for each one of us, Lord. That you bore our sins upon yourself, Lord. So, Lord, we do this in obedience to you. And we thank you, Lord, for what you've done, Lord. As it says here in Isaiah, Lord, as you said it is fulfilled. That you have brought the good news to the poor. That you have comforted the brokenhearted. And you have proclaimed that the captives will be released. So, Lord, we take this bread now in obedience and in worship to what you've done. Lord, as we continue to worship you, we look at this juice as it represents your blood, Lord, as it was shed for each one of us. Also, the promises that we have, Lord, through you and through your resurrection, Lord. As we see this passage written so long ago continues, it says, the time of the Lord's favor has come. And Lord, we look at this and we acknowledge this, Lord, that through you, Jesus, through your resurrection, your promises are true that you have paid the ultimate sacrifice. So, Lord, we take this juice, this little cup, Lord, but we do it in remembrance. And also, Lord, not just in remembrance, but looking forward to the promises that you've given each one of us, Lord. Hope, eternal hope. So, Lord, we thank you for this, Lord. And, Lord, we just ask that this would be worship before you. Lord, I thank you. And, Lord, as we gather as a fellowship, as a church, and taking the Lord's Supper, communion, Lord, I pray that each one of us, 
would just take this time, this beginning of the month, this beginning of this season, this holiday season, and Lord, as we take this bread and this juice, Lord, it wouldn't just be, it would be so much more that we would actually truly remember this month, who you are, what you've done for each one of us, Lord, and the promises that we have in you. And we would take that hope that each of us have received in you, Lord, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would just empower all those here, Lord. They would go out, Lord, and they would share. They would share with the lost this season. So many people want to know what Christmas is about. We have so many opportunities to go out and fellowship Christmas Day with places we could never go before. We have chances to go into malls and sing of your goodness, Lord. And, Lord, that we would go out and we remember this verse in Isaiah, Lord. I just love it how this came up today, Lord that you have brought the good news to the poor. Again, that you have comforted us, the brokenhearted, and you have proclaimed that we are free, Lord. Again, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that your favor has been upon us, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that it would be upon our lips as we leave this place today, Lord, that we would set all the things of the world today, Lord, is my big focus in this message today. The point was, Lord, to get right with you. Examine our relationships between us and you. To Examine our relationship with others with our families and brothers and sisters, so that we may go out and share the hope that we received in Jesus, Lord. So I pray, Lord, for each and every one of them just to be spirit-filled, spirit-led, Lord, and just we would go out, Lord, from here, from this place, Lord, and share what you've done. Share the testimony. I shared a little of my testimony. Lord, each person here would share. Maybe it was a miracle that brought them to faith. Maybe it was a surrenderance. Lord, each person has an individual testimony, Lord, but I pray, Lord, it would come to their lips, Lord, and they would go share with the people out there the testimony of who you are and what you've done in each one of their lives, Lord, and saved us from death. Lord, I just thank you for this church. I thank you for this fellowship. I just thank you for Jesus, Lord, and all you've done. Please, Lord, just equip us to go out there and share that hope with others. In Jesus' name, amen.